0: Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White here with you on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. It is gorgeous outside today. Have you been outside?
1: Yes, I have. And I got to tell you, I saw the outside better than I have for some time. I'm trying out contacts today. I have never in my life worn contacts. I got
0: to say, you look pretty good, Scott. (laughs) <laughs> so, world, I'm putting you on notice, because as it was, Gregory S. White never missed a thing. If he sees better than he ever has, watch out, folks. Watch out. Well, Greg, great to see you here today. Looking yeah, good likewise. and warm and looking forward to getting outside after today's stream. But hey, today, we're continuing our series, Supply Chain Today and Tomorrow, with the one only Mike Griswold with Gartner. Yeah. Uh, today, we're getting into the spirit of the season, Greg and offering up a holiday gift-giving guide for supply chain professionals that may hold those special places in your heart. So, are you ready wait. to get going? It's yeah. going to be fun. It well, it may hold a special
1: place in your heart, and it may be the only thing you can get hold of. Also,
0: <laughs> That is so true. That is so true. And we're going to say hello to a few folks. We've got... uh Uh, A couple of uh, folks that joined us earlier in the week already tuned in and look forward to their POV here today. But before we get started and before we say hello to some folks, Greg, let's knock out a few uh, quick programming notes. So today's show is produced in sponsorship with Azul Arc. Greg, who built our stunning new website, SupplyChainNow.com, and is a leader in user experience design. Uh, in development of websites, but not just websites, custom software applications specifically for the supply chain industry. Big yeah. thanks. to is a here and the A team over at maybe the double A team. Yeah, well, over at Azul Arc. You can learn more at azularc.com. Greg, yeah, if you want another group, example
1: huh? of what they've done, I mean, obviously look at the Supply Chain Now site, but also Vector Global Logistics and that transformation. Um, they did They did their work as well. So um, great team over there. They know tech. They know software as well as just websites. Not that it's just, there's no such thing as just a website anymore, right. is there? Um, in fact, we were just talking to somebody who was having trouble with their website, something to do with like capturing leads or something like that, right? So yes. it's amazing what we attempt to do with these websites. And these guys are great at making it happen for you.
0: They have certainly evolved uh, greatly uh, over the last couple decades and it's uh, a formidable tool, but you got to work with the pros So y'all check out azularc.com also talking about working with the pros Greg Transplace who's had a bit of a big year yeah uh, is joining us uh, next week, huh Yeah, I don't know what was the what was it the, something happened <laughs> with
1: them I can't remember <laughs> what it was exactly.
0: They only joined forces with one of the uh, big old business brands across the globe as they uh, partner with Uber Freight. So big things to come, right?
1: Right. For all, all of you companies out there that say you want to be the Uber of Freight, I, I got news for you. Trans Place <laughs> is already the Uber of <laughs> Freight.
0: <afraid. laughs> I love Along that. Along with Uber Freight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got news for you with Greg White. New series coming to you your go. podcast channels in 2022. Hey, but it's all about accelerating innovation through collaboration, yeah. right? In a very meaningful way, innovation, collaboration, those uh, cliches are thrown around all the time, but TransPlace is on the move. You can join Corinne Bursa and I, and I, who are hosting next week's free webinar on December 9th at 12 noon. We're joined by Chrissy and Michelle, both with TransPlace, and we'd love for to, be, to also be joined by you. So look for the link to join us on that webinar on December 9th at 12 noon, and we hope to see you next week. And then finally, Greg, you know, a little passion project of ours, yeah. uh, mine and Kelly Barner's, is This Week in Business History, where we drop a new uh, podcast episode every Monday, really focused on the intersection of business and history, especially little known stories you may not know about. So this week, I stole, uh, you know, my son Ben is all about video games and comic books in particular. Video really? games, I learned a lot from him. Oh. DC He's or good. Marvel, does he have a preference? Both, and he'll tell you exactly what's what, and if you get it wrong, he'll tell you that too. That's uh, good. To we, we need to have him on. <laughs> yeah, we do. So I wanted to dive a little deeper in, in video game history. Of course, I'm a Gen Xer from the 80s. Nintendo Entertainment System was a big part of my upbringing. But, Greg, did you know? So the Nintendo Entertainment System, I think, came out in 85. That's you know almost 30 years ago. Check that.
1: 85 is 35 years.
0: Right. Okay. 35 years ago. Well, that platform is still the 13th best selling all time in terms of consoles, right? Despite it being the original Nintendo? Yeah. Wow. And get this. So, Atari had a a tentative hand. You know this?
1: No, 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 no. I I just remember we got an Atari when I was a kid,
0: which was a big. Right. Pong, that was a, 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 a big trailblazer that really got the video game industry going in earnest. Well, Atari, who had some big hits after Pong, for sure, in the late 70s, early 80s, they had a handshake agreement to have the Nintendo Entertainment System release under the Atari brand. But the deal fell through. And, of course, we all know what happened. The Nintendo, obviously, is still a huge, huge player, one of the biggest players. I think the... The latest console, I can't remember what it is. Um, anyway, it's like number two in, in all-time units sold. So, little little miss there, but y'all check out so, five things you didn't so What know you're about saying
1: this. is Atari could have been on like Donkey Kong, but <laughs> they weren't because <laughs> right. the deal fell through, so
0: Nintendo
1: got Donkey Kong.
0: Yes, yes. Isn't that such a shame? Did you play Donkey um, Kong? I did. On the Intellivision. On the Intellivision.
1: Oh, wow. So- yeah, I don't remember, I don't recall exactly when I started doing video games, but, of course, at first they were consoles in, well, in my case, at Shakey's Pizza or (laughs) arcades, what was called an arcade, right? I was pretty good at Galaga, and apparently so was my wife because one year for Christmas I got her a Galaga console. She came down the stairs, saw the Galaga console, started crying, and said, and I quote, this is better than jewelry, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Galaga. I love that man, we, and we all love Vicky. But man, I, I'm gonna have to share that story with her. She's a practical gift receiver, which is a good thing, no doubt.
1: And she's a hell of a Galaga player too, by the way. <laughs> don't better, don't bet money.
0: Don't bet money. I love that. Well, hey, check out this week in business history wherever you get your podcast from. And thank you, Josh Goody, on the money. Oh yeah, LinkedIn. It is that Nintendo Switch, which is just has set set the world on fire, and I believe that the as of September, just a couple months ago, finally the PlayStation Five broke through because the Switch, Nintendo Switch, had a three-year headlock on the most popular consoles in terms of um, of dollars and I think units. Check me on that, but anyway, PlayStation Five finally broke through. So, but the Switch, which is what Ben has, is extremely popular, Greg. I I trust Mm. you have one? No.
1: (laughs) No, I hung up my gaming thumbs
0: a while back. Okay. Well, hey, Josh, thanks for being there, Johnny, on the spot. Great to have you back this week for another live stream. Looking forward to your POV here today as we work through our gift buying guide for those dear supply chain professionals in your life. Also, a big shout out, Max Gomez is back with us. I think this is his third live stream with us this week. And Greg, I think I owe Max a book. I'm gonna have to get on, uh, get that going. That's so right Max, because he 18. wanted
1: he wanted some information on supply chain education. Right. That's right. Um, Max. Yeah. That also. Uh, what am I thinking of? There's some really easy video. Um, Mudasir.
0: What does he hey. call it? I'm so embarrassed. We'll look that up. Yeah. Uh, so, Amanda, if you can Google that, Mudasir has a wealth of supply chain ed- education parked over at YouTube and across social. Yeah, and we will look that up. and Real share that easy well. and
1: cost-effective access to some really good training, right? And practical and yes. practical.
0: Yes. So great to have everybody here today. Okay, so I want to welcome in. If you're ready, Greg, we've got uh, um, a re- another repeat guest. Uh, one of our most popular repeat guests. We have to this time we had to go through his agent to getting booked because Hollywood was calling at the same time. That's right. And it's one of our most popular shows. I want to welcome in Mr. Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Hey, hey, Mike. How you doing? Hey,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm glad you could work things out with my, uh, with my manager. So it's, it's <laughs> great to be with I you. I see you did a wardrobe always.
1: change since the green room too. Yes.
2: Yes, yes, I was. I was not about to do any unsolicited sponsorship. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, it's great to be with you guys. Um, my first gaming platform was in television, so I know I'm going to date myself oh, yeah. with that. I think there's one probably in the Smithsonian. And Greg, uh, kudos to the contacts. I had them for a while. I got laser surgery. I was never able to master contacts without a mirror. Yeah, me neither. Once you're. A- So to me, those are the contact experts, the people that, you like in the middle of walking down the sidewalk, they can pop them out and pop them in. It's like, that's like next level contact management. I never got to that.
1: I hope to never be that proficient, Adam, Mike. Um,
0: (laughs) And, and, you know, my
1: vision isn't terrible. As my doctor said, you're a bit of a wimp when it comes to (laughs) tolerating, or he said most people would kill for the
0: vision that you have, though that was a few years ago. Well, I used to get away with a few things, and now, uh, Mike, I'm not sure if I'm going to get away with those uh, now that Greg's got better than 2020 yes. vision. We well, shall I'll tell you see. what, I'm going
1: to start shaving a lot better now. I can
0: tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, really quick, Sheldon, thanks so much for joining us once again here today. Great to see you via LinkedIn. SCM Dojo was what we're after there with yeah. Dr. Mudasir. So thanks for being there. Max, check out SCM Dojo for a wealth of education and insights. On supply Chain. And of course, Gartner, which I'm sure we'll touch on later in today's show. Uh, a ton of resources there, including one of our favorite things, that top 25 in supply chain. We learned so much from what the leaders in the industry are doing. Okay, so Mike and Greg, we're gonna have a little more fun before we get into our holiday gift buying guide. We're, we're gonna, gonna be talking about, about- what's that? I said hot dog. Let's go. Oh, hot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I didn't mean like uh, the food.
1: Although, yeah, well, <laughs> it is amazing how were, often
0: we mention food on these shows, isn't it? <laughs> I thought you were guessing what day it is, and and no, hot dogs are not related to today's uh, special day, but it is the history of business of popping corn day. Now, I'll tell you the tie-in here because that 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 name does not just roll off the tongue. On December second, eighteen eighty-five, Charles Creeter's... The Pride of Lebanon, Ohio, invented the first large-scale commercial oil popcorn popper. And guess what, folks? It was steam-powered. How convenient wow. is that? Steam-powered popcorn. They really wanted they really wanted some po- good popcorn back what in 1885. Can- 1885. So that uh, I mean 18- so that should give you
1: some idea of how important it was one and the kind of power that it takes. If
0: right? Right. right. No word if Charles Creeder's ever hooked up with with uh Robert Fulton to bring popcorn <laughs> to the masses. We shall see. But hey, Greg and Mike, as I mentioned, we got this uh, superior popcorn device. And there's there's several brands out there, not to pitch just one. But the most important thing is it cooks the popcorn like you get movie theaters, ballparks, and whatnot. And it doesn't burn it like so many microwaves do. And I liked it so much, we gave my parents, my mom's a big popcorn lover, we gave them one uh, for the holidays. So my question to you, and I'm Mark, Mike. I'm gonna start with you. What's your favorite popcorn, and where do you get it?
2: So, like you, Scott, a couple of years ago, I got my wife one of those popcorn makers that you know sits on a stand. She even bought the plastic popcorn boxes, like you. You can oh, get. Oh, yeah. Them. So that that's really good. But you know, if if I have if I have an itch for popcorn, it's usually let's go to the movies. Right. For whatever reason, movie popcorn you know i'm a butter person so i have to have my own my wife is anti butter so she gets her own <laughs>
1: salt mike are but you a salt also
2: lightly lightly salt my wife is like 30 minutes with the salt shaker salt, <laughs> if she so. would put butter
1: on it would be like 30 seconds with the
2: yes <laughs> yes but you know it's all good we have our own buckets <laughs> but usually it's if if i'm really looking for really good popcorn it for whatever re- and it doesn't seem to matter the theater chain either it just, it just tastes better at the movies.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Greg, how about you?
1: Yeah, well, it uh, at least around here, it does matter, the chain. And of course, it's movie theater popcorn. What else would it be? But there's this chain called NCG, and everything is kind of out front. You buy your tickets, you buy your drink cups, and your popcorn cup at the entrance. And then you go, and you can refill all of it. Uh, yourself well not the popcorn but they do this amazing thing and mike as a butter fanatic you will, you will love this they do this, this amazing thing where they will fill the tub halfway full let you go put butter on that oh, yeah, yeah. shake it around <laughs> yeah. and then fill it the rest of the way full and then you can put butter on it, so all of it it's very nicely buttered.
2: Yeah, that, that's always been the downside of movie popcorn, right, is when they say butter <clears throat> and you say, yes, the, the bucket or the whatever your container, your size of preference is already full of popcorn. Yeah. So you're eating a couple, then you're trying to do the shake, but not have it fly all over your seat. So that's a great
1: strategy, yeah.
2: <laughs> great customer service. Yeah, I think
1: it's brilliant. And they, I mean, they've even gotten it figured out for the newbies. They'll go, do you want to have fulls, and
0: tell them why they would do that. And you <laughs> yes. see people going, oh, my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> what genius this is. Yes. So I think this is Amanda, Garrett Cheddar and Caramel Popcorn oh. in Chicago. So that's got to be um, – that doesn't sound good to me. I don't like mixing my uh, sweet and my savory. Yeah. But, hey, different strokes, different folks. Any and by the flavor
1: way, of Garrett's popcorn is, is outstanding. Good. Oh, my okay. gosh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So Adam's calling us out. Uh, Just tuned in to the popcorn chat. Amazing. So hey, we're we're getting down to business in just a minute, Adam. We like to have a good little bit of fun on the front end. So great to have you here via LinkedIn. I'm looking forward to what's on your holiday gift buying guide for uh, supply chain professionals in your life. Okay, so Mike and Greg, again, today we're going to be talking about the holiday gift buying guide for all the naughty or nice supply chain professionals in your lives. And I think we've got three main areas or gifts, as it were, Mike, we're going to be working through. So why don't we start with the first one?
2: Yeah, I think it's, there are, given the last two years, I don't think there's any naughty supply chain professionals. (laughs) I think everyone is is nice or higher, whatever's whatever's above nice. Angelic. Angelic, perfect, right? As I was thinking about about what we wanted to talk about today, and I started to reflect on some of the things we've talked about over the course of the year in our time together, one one came to mind immediately, and that is having companies wake up on the twenty sixth, and they have some type of chief sustainability officer, mm-hmm. right? Somewhat now. I'm a little hesitant just to label it sustainability because what I think companies really want to find under their tree is a role that not only is championing the sustainability effort but also the people effort, the D E and I types of things. Right. When I think about our supply chain top twenty-five methodology, we have a component that we call ESG. It's it's going to be twenty percent of the evaluation for twenty twenty-two. Right. And we renamed it ESG because we wanted E for the environmental, but we also wanted the S and the G, the social and the governance. So maybe companies can wake up and find you know a chief ESG officer under their tree. If I think about what we've been spending a lot of time at Gartner talking about, the theme of our keynote, people, profit, planet, right? All three of those things are becoming incredibly important to organizations, both internally, if you look at what you see in the press around associate sentiment about the things that are important to the company they're working for that is definitely growing and we've always had and we've talked about it here quite a bit we've always had that external pressure from our from our customer however we define that in terms of wanting us to be more socially visible more environmentally responsible and now over the last 2 years we've seen that really come to land at the feet of the supply chain. Mm. And we are being asked to be more and more responsible as stewards of the planet, being examples uh, around social topics. And I think organizations that try to handle that piecemeal, meaning, hey, we'll have HR do this, Mm -hmm. uh, or we'll have HR and someone else tackle this separately. I think you run the risk of, of mixed messages or, or frankly no message. Right. So having someone that is going to be your champion on these incredibly important topics, I'd love to have organizations find that on the twenty on the
0: twenty-fifth. Excellent point. You know, you, you can't piecemeal culture. And and that's one that's kind of what no. you're implying there. Uh, but Greg, what did you hear there? And what are your thoughts around this first suggested gift?
1: Well, you know, we talk about a lot about visibility and supply chain unification and and diversification, and all of those things have to be centered around the supply chain itself. So, whatever you call that role—if you call it chief ESG officer, or you call it chief supply chain officer, or you make it you make it combined role or something like that—the connection is critical because the opportunity to find the flaws the fragilities and i wish i could think of a third f but the bad stuff going on in your supply chain i can i just thought of a third f word but i'm not going to use it the ability to to really hone in on those things is as the product is moving as you're experiencing the transactions as you're seeing the provenance of the product as you're seeing the handoffs of the product as you're seeing the the fragilities and resiliencies in your supply chain and then Doing something about it. The data is there in many cases to do things about it, and I, it falls to us as supply chain professionals to do that. So, um, and I think a lot of us have a passion for just generally fair trade. Nobody likes getting screwed over or screwed up by their vendors, and we don't want to do it to the entire world or to you know or to delicate populations or to the delicate environment either. So. Uh, I think it's a natural role for us to have centered in supply chain. However, it reports it needs to ultimately ultimately be reporting up through supply chain because all of those things create risk in the supply chain and as you know I say all the time this is a risk balancing exercise supply chain. And every time we eliminate unfair trade or poor sustainability practices or poor cost practices or whatever we eliminate a fragility in our supply chain. So we do better by doing good. I love that.
0: Mike?
2: Yeah. What What's interesting, um, Greg, is when you think about finding people for this role, yeah. right? It's kind of a, th- th- there's definitely, as I talk to the analysts on my team that covers sustainability, it's really a double-edged sword. W- on one side, there are a lot of people that are incredibly passionate about this topic. And I think this is one of those topics that you really need people that are passionate about this. Yes, you want people that are interested in forecasting and replenishment. Right. But there's a different level of passion that that at least I've come across in people that are interested in these ESG topics than someone that is, you know, I don't want to say just, but just interested in forecasting replenishment. That's kind of the good news. The bad news is these people are getting scooped up very quickly. So, it's one of those things where, you know, if you decide and you agree kind of with this this short conversation, man, I really need to find someone. When you find someone, you better grab mm-hmm. them because someone else is going to grab them. And we we saw that when we were when we were building our own sustainability team here at Gartner. <laughs> In terms of, you know, we find someone we like, we go through our process and then we wake up the next day and they're gone. They've been scooped up by somebody else. Mm. So there are tons of people out there that have the passion around this topic. When you find one, you need to move very quickly because if you don't, someone else will.
0: Excellent point, Mike. And and that could that could apply to the talent market in general right now, right? Yes, for sure. So you know, for number two on Mike on on your list, it's it's interesting. You know, I was talking with uh, a local TV station today uh, on an interview, and as I was gathering my thoughts in the last few days, I was going back to look at a lot of what we were talking about pre-COVID, and surprise, 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 visibility has been a challenge for quite some time, mm-hmm. and here it sits on number at number two on your list. So tell us more.
2: Well, it's always good when we can get a Gomer pile reference <laughs> into uh into our broadcast whether that was intentional or not and I'm definitely dating myself now when I, when I when I make a Gomer pile reference everyone now in our audience is googling Gomer yeah, pile. Gomer Gomer Pyle. Pyle. Yeah, anyway, uh yes, I mean it, to me this was as I was thinking about man, what what would I wish for for supply chain professionals, you know, going into 2022, it's it's something around visibility and i know kind of and gray can certainly speak to this better than i can you know the easy answer is is this idea of control tower right that that was kind of one of the things that has been talked about for a, for a number of years i think even even us at gartner have spent a lot of time talking about control towers but i think it's it's more than it's more than a technological solution it's also just a, a your earlier comment, Scott, around culture. It, it's a cultural kind of renaissance that says we're just gonna we're just gonna be more transparent and we're gonna be more visible across the supply chain. And whether that's we're gonna create ways where we have more internal visibility to things that are moving around our supply chain. To Greg's point around. You know, it's hard to make those risk trade-off decisions if you don't have complete visibility, because then you're making decisions with less than all of the information. And I know in the supply chain, we never have all the information we would like, but we can get more of it than we've had in the past yeah. through this idea of, of visibility. I think mean, the other thing that's, that I found fascinating as I talked to And I think this is, as I talk to technology companies, and Greg would love your perspective on this, what I'm finding is I talk to technology companies is they're pushing their customers to think about control towers in in some different ways, right? Not just where where are my physical assets, which is kind of how control towers grew up, right? A big map, here's where all my trucks are, here's where all my DCs are, here's the little dots moving around the country. That was kind of how Control Towers got started. As I talk to technology companies now, they're saying, hey, that's still important, but you also need to know where inventory is. You also need visibility to forecasts. You need visibility to orders so that as you layer these different elements of visibility into your network, you can start making maybe different decisions than maybe we've made in the past. So. I encourage people, right, if they're making their list to Santa, to ask about, like, how do I get more visibility? Because when I look at our leading companies, resiliency and agility are our two common denominators. That's enabled for those companies through visibility.
0: Mm. All right, Greg, I know you're chomping at the bit.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it's on it's on the what the logistics industry calls the shipper's to open the doors to transparency. To me, the the absolute necessity of visibility is transparency. It's sharing what in the past, Mike, you and I have talked about this a lot, what may be uncomfortable, but is ultimately beneficial, right? There are lots of things that in our retail practices, we were not comfortable sharing with our vendors. Just imagine if we had right. somehow figured out to sh- how to share data during times of COVID, how much better we could have been or how much quicker we could have responded or even recovered after catastrophe hit. And yeah, I completely agree. The other thing I agree with is you're talking about is visibility, right? And control towers. Control towers are a railroad notion, right? It's If you think about it, it started with knowing where the cars and the various engines and whatnot switchers are in the yard. And it's been, as you said, largely a transportation notion, but it needs to be more broadly applied and it needs to be applied to not just product in motion, but when should product be in motion? When should POs be cut? What should we expect? How do we rate carriers and things like that? So there is a lot of opportunity, especially with the wealth of data out there today, to be able to be preemptive, not just responsive, not just know what's wrong, but to predict what could go wrong and to do something about it to, to mitigate that risk in advance. You know, we talk a lot about that, Scott, immediately. Shannon Valencourt and the team at Rate Links, I think of them immediately because they right. have been pitching visibility since 2001. And, you know, and, and we all, I have always been someone who I prefer to preempt the problem rather than to respond to the problem. And with all of that visibility, you can start to build a data set that allows you to say it's likely. This customs office is going to go slow. It's likely that this carrier is is going to be late or, you know, things like that. In the old days, when Mike and I started doing this, you basically pushed out a PO and you hoped. (laughs) Right. That was your strategy. (laughs) Right. Hope.
0: Yep. Well, you know, I can relate to that right this very instant as I'm in search of uh, shocks and struts for a vehicle. Mm. And they're a very particular set. And I have learned more about um, automotive parts and where we are today and about a strategy of hope than I've ever learned before. So we'll see. We'll see if these parts come in and we can hit the road again. But, Mike, circling back, give you, giving you the last thought on uh, visibility.
2: Yeah. Hope, I mean, I don't know who said it. Someone much smarter than me. Hope is not a strategy. Right. right? And hope is hope is not a plan. So. Um,
0: I, well, I would argue it is. It's just a really poor one. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> yeah, no, great point. Yeah, you are you are correct. I wanted to react Greg to 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 Greg's observation around the rail industry and as you were describing that Greg what I agree with it completely what came to mind is is we need to move and I'm going to kind of mix metaphors here. We need to move from being conductors, if I think about the rail industry, to and how people maybe traditionally use control towers, to orchestrators, right? We, we need to be able to, to see ahead to, I agree with you, we, we want to be more proactive and less reactive. The trick is, how do we use visibility slash control towers? How do we use them? To be more predictive, right, yeah. and be more proactive and less reactive, and some of that will come down to skills, yeah. right? Comes back to your earlier comments, Scott, about the war for talent. Uh, it will come down to an orchestration skill set is much different than a conducting skill set, and how do we find those people?
0: Hey, one more comment about this. When we talk about predictive analytics, and Greg, I want to pose this to you. You know, for for predictive analytics to be very impactful and successful in supply chain today and moving forward, they don't have to predict the next black swan event. It doesn't have to predict the next epidemic, pandemic, whatever. It can predict some of them, some of the the smaller disruptions in that occur every day, right. and help and help uh, massage and smooth that out. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent observation. I mean, the, the thing that we don't realize is that there is a vast, vast amount of the supply chain that just runs relatively smoothly. And we manage that with largely the same strategy as we do the exceptions. If we can virtually automate the standard, right, then that gives us more time and and you, and the ability to use different techniques to tackle the exceptions, the the disruptions, the black swan events, whatever you want to call them. But that's part of the problem, is we manage everything so in so many cases. And I gotta tell you, Mike, every time I see this, I feel like it was it's 25 years ago. So many things are handled so manually, and they are all handled the same. And we use this average paintbrush where we just go, on average, we you know, we do this. With the data that's available today, we absolutely can and absolutely should be addressing. Not just different segments of items, because immediately when you're in supply chain, you think treat the A items this way and the B items this way and the C items that way. It's this item and its unique characteristics can use this technique. This item in this location and its unique characteristic can use this methodology, et cetera, et cetera. And the ability to manage all the way down to a skew location level has been around for literally decades, literally since the 80s. And um, it's time to really leverage that, uh, you know, to kind of tackle that from a planning, a preemption, and, you know, not only predictive analytics, Scott, but I think prescriptive analytics. Technology can now not just tell us what could happen. It can also respond to what did happen and tell us what to do or even do it for us. It happens Right. All the time, and we need to make that right. more prolific through
0: supply chain. So, what you're saying is we we got to stop steam popping our popcorn <laughs> and get get with the times, right? That's I right. Share this. Once your Kose is back with us, uh, one of Mike's colleagues, Eric Gardner, uh, he says unfortunately, supply chain mapping isn't common in supply chain nowadays. Though hope is high, since seventy plus percent plan to implement it in the near term. Mapping is fundamental to risk management in. Terra incognita. Uh-huh. <laughs> About that. Uh, well, you I mean, know, this... he's
1: got to use terms like that because he was he, he was just made a, an adjunct professor at Northeastern University. By the way, congrats, I saw to Co- that. Colbert. Congrats, so,
0: Corot.
2: Congratulations, fantastic.
0: Yeah. And I think, Greg, you're going to be sharing some of your POV with some of those students up there, if, right? If Only
1: if he's foolish enough to invite me, yes. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll get some popcorn and a Diet Coke and sit in the back yeah, of that class. I have, I, of have,
1: that. I have imparted my whatever you want to call it, <laughs> wisdom or at least opinion on Georgia Tech, Wichita State, University of Georgia, Duke, Emory. Why not Northeastern? But as I told him yesterday— spring is a good time to be in Boston <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. uh, Sheldon says supply chain has got to move to community advantage we've seen that what we thought were competitive advantages in supply chain is just shared services intercompany inter-industry collaboration is key to true visibility and transparency I would add that's a that's an excellent comment Sheldon especially it brings my mind to the ports right and, and as we've heard As we've seen, even port directors, Gene uh, Siroca, I believe, is one that said, our ports are decades behind, other ports uh, globally. And part of that challenge is what Sheldon's talking about, is that sharing of the data that that does exist amongst the stakeholders across the port, use a port, operate the port. Okay, so up next, Mm -hmm. we've tackled executive leadership, All right, ESG, chief ESG ESG officer. We've tackled visibility. And now, my what is number three on the list?
2: Number three, I want to get super, super tactical. And I want to talk about a piece of research that we produce every year called the hype cycle. And what the hype cycle does, and, and for people that are are super, super smart, they would recognize that it's actually a wave. It's not a cycle. But I think hype wave doesn't sound as cool as hype cycle. Right. So it's called a hype yeah. cycle.
1: It sounds like exercise when it, you call it hype cycle. So that's <laughs>
2: – yeah. <laughs> yes so so what we do in the hype cycle for those maybe that haven't seen it is is we plot process and technology uh, over the course of its life from the beginning to you know kind of it's getting super hyped to my favorite all-time Gartner graphic the trough of disillusionment yes. it doesn't get any better than that in terms of of naming out to um, basically where where items or activities, process, and technology are, are pretty much mainstream. And what we found as we talked to leading companies is there are three activities that they're doing that I'd ask people to think about as we go into the holiday season as it relates to the hype cycle. Now, it doesn't, I'm using the hype cycle because that's what we produce from a gardener perspective. Really what I'm asking people is however you think about your technology roadmap There's three things that I saw this year from leading companies. There's things that they're piloting, things that they're re-examining and things that they're scaling. And the hype cycle, you know, does a good job of giving you examples of things to pilot, things to re-examine and things to scale. I think what we learned from companies over the last 18, 24 months is leading companies still were investing in those piloting types of activities. Even when times were tough, they were making decisions around what technology or process do I think might differentiate me. And I just want to see what it does and what are the applications that I might be able to find for my company or my industry. This re-examine; those are the things that, if you look at the hype cycle, tend to land in that trough of disillusionment. Those are where people are saying to themselves, hey, we tried this, it didn't work,
1: Mm -hmm. but
2: let's look at it again because maybe now we know why it didn't work. Mm. Maybe we weren't ready for it. Maybe the technology wasn't ready for us. Whatever it might be, re-examining things and not just saying, hey, it didn't work, it will never work, right? The leading companies are getting away from that. And then the last piece is this, you know, kind of the scaling aspect, which is hey, there are things that everyone has been doing and, and is doing and is proving successful. If you look at the hype cycle, one of the things that you would find at that end are centers of excellence. Centers of excellence are not new news, or they shouldn't be new <laughs> right. news to, to companies, right? Being able to build expertise in critical areas and establishing these centers of excellence. Those are things that leaders you know, have been doing for a while. So but what I guess if I boil it down to what would I like people to find underneath the tree, I'd like them to find a balanced IT roadmap. And I shouldn't call it IT because there's process stuff as well, right. right? But find some type of roadmap under the tree that looks at the next 12 to 24 months, and you've identified activities that you want to pilot, that you want to re-examine, and that you want to scale. That's my that that was my third wish.
0: I like that, and mm-hmm. I, I like uh, one of the earliest points and what Mike just shared is that uh, some of the leading companies out there did not allow the pandemic and other disruption to be an excuse to stop innovating right. and stop piloting and stop experimenting different ways of, of serving their consumers, serving their supply chains, even they're serving their team members better. Um, you know, Greg, what comes to mind is we were hosting a, along these lines, we were hosting a webinar and I can't remember, I think it was with uh, Omnia partners, but in particular, there was an executive from Ace Hardware on the panel. Yeah. And she was talking about how pre pandemic, and I can't remember what exactly it was. Had Maybe it had something to do with expense reports for their employees or whatever. And pre-pandemic, their leadership team, I think if I got this right, kind of shot down this idea to make it easier for employees related to some bogus you know, documentation or something, whatever it was. And then during the middle of the pandemic, as we were remote everywhere, automating everything, she's like, what were we thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, Just do it, right? Yeah. And it was one of those eureka moments. And I bet – Every organization had them. What was such a big deal pre-pandemic? What was such a big moving of the cheese pre-pandemic? All that became small potatoes when we you know, had other bigger fish to fry to some extent, not to keep using food analogies, but you get my drift, right, Greg?
2: <laughs> We're all hungry now, yeah, right? for cheese. <laughs> Sorry, I was... Popcorn, hot dogs. I was thinking, what kind of
0: cheese got moved? Um,
1: <laughs> you know, I think, I think we'd all like to believe and you know, all of us, all three of us having been in practice in supply chain and relatively sophisticated companies, we'd all like to be, leave that we have a really strategic perspective on where the company is going. But sometimes that strategic perspective is so high level that we leave some things alone that, and if you've ever been a, you know, a newbie, an up-and-comer in a company, you're like, why are these idiots not dealing with X, right? <laughs> because X is, is not contributory enough to the strategic perspective. But the other thing is that a lot of times companies operate based on an old precept, which is necessity or crisis is the mother of invention, right? We, we don't pay attention to some things we know are a potential exposure, like the entirety of supply chain for most companies, right? The advent of e-commerce, which is stunning to me, that there are companies that are just getting into that now, yeah. Um, and and other things like that that seem really strategic after you get punched in the face, right? But um, you don't see as important because you're struggling to strategically manage or even tactically manage those things that are core to your business. Clearly accretive to your business and low, relatively low risk to in improving your business, and you're struggling just to tackle and manage those. So, as much as we'd like to think we're really strategic, we really are so often just down in the, in weeds, the weeds of what is is putting bread on the table today. Right. I love companies that. are collections of people. I mean, and think about Maslow's hierarchy of need. Right. I mean, we as individuals, we have to reach certain plateaus before we recognize what some of those other opportunities are. And it's similar with
0: companies. Right. The, with the uh, Lombardi trophy at the top of the top step there, Greg. We'll see. That's, we'll see.
1: Yes. Another Lombardi tra- trophy. Yeah. Yes.
0: Another one. That's right. Let me clarify. Uh, Accretive. What a great word, Greg. I'm going to go look that up uh, I need to add that to my vocabulary. Okay. So Mike, I'm going to give you the last word. We, we've covered You know, even trying to keep it just to three, there's so many different elements and wrinkles of the conversation, especially as it applies to, you know, across industry. But I give you the last word as uh, we're talking about the third item here.
2: Yeah, I think if I think about all three of the ones we've we've been uh, talking about and I'm reflecting on this conversation, it really comes down to all three of these are within an organization's own control and their own sphere of influence, right? You don't need you don't need to wait to go find an ESG officer. You don't need to wait to to build your your system and process roadmap for the next two years. And I think it's incumbent on organizations to recognize what do they have control over right now and what can they action right now mm-hmm. versus having to either you know wait for permission wait for some, you know, external environmental thing to happen to them. I think that right now people have it within their own power to, to take advantage of all three of these things. And other things that we've talked about, frankly, all year. You know, we we rarely talk about something that people couldn't go do tomorrow, right? Or later today, right? With their popcorn, their hot dog, <laughs> their potatoes and all the other food that we referenced in the last forty five minutes. But to me, I think Organizations, you know, often are just I don't want to say paralyzed, but but they don't move at the speed at which they move they could move with things that they have control over. And I think that if I was to, to kind of put these in, you know, these three Christmas presents in one big bucket, the bucket would be, you know, you are empowered to do this. Just go do mm. it, I mean, just go do right. it, right? Right to steal a phrase,
0: you know. Along these lines, Greg, we we were chatting with Kelly Barner on the Buzz on Monday, which which uh, streams every Monday at twelve noon Eastern Time, folks. You should join us for that. American Eagle purchasing quiet Quiet logistics, logistics, I believe, right right, to bring that into the fold. And to your point, Mike, kind of gain more control and more supply chain wherewithal for sure. That's that is fascinating. We'll see how that plays out. Okay, Greg and Mike. This has been a delightful 47 minutes thus far, but we're going to take it back as we wrap up the bookend here is also going to be more on a personal side. So folks, you have heard a holiday gift buying list, uh, three items that supply chain professionals in your network and in your family, in your lives certainly are craving. Uh, But we want to hear from you. Drop, drop what's on your uh, suggested gift list in the comments. We'd love to share that. But leaving that there, Mike, I want to talk about as, we, as we're already in December. This blows my mind, we're it's December 1st, 2021. We've got holidays all around us, uh all types of holidays. What's one Griswold family tradition you have this <laughs> month?
2: Well, I mean that's your own you know, that's, Griswold you mean, family. That. That, that's too easy, Scott. It's obviously watching Christmas Vacation. Right? We, we we watch it at least once. Uh, and I don't know if I've shared this with everyone. Obviously, Griswold and, and, and the Christmas Vacation. But a couple of things that really hit home in the very first Vacation right. movie was my grandmother's name is Edna, and she lived in Arizona. <laughs> wow. So, Yes, yes. When my wife and I first saw that movie, we were like laughing the loudest. I think in the theater, no one knew why, but it was it was because it really hit, it really hit uh, close to home.
0: Oh man, that is we we watched that last weekend. It's it's a midkiff family, Amanda's family tradition uh, for sure. And yeah, you you watch a movie for the ninety seventh time, you pick up kind of a, a few new wrinkles. You
2: do, but you do, Greg.
0: I'm coming to you next for your tradition. But I, since we're talking movies, you know, playing planes trains and automobiles of course a big uh, uh, thanksgiving movie tradition yes. I think it was released uh, about 35 years ago and rip you know rest in peace john candy but how powerful that you know it's all uh, the whole thing's a comedy and it's a classic one but at the end where john candy shares that you know his wife was no longer with him and it really changes the whole story right there in that moment and it really reminds me kind of kidding aside these times you know these whether it's a pandemic whether it's the holidays, whatever it is, whether it's the folks out there that don't get a chance to hang out with the family as much as other folks do, folks are hurting. And we got We got to really put and wear uh, that empathy hat first, uh, especially for, sure. for all the hardworking folks that make global business and global supply chain happen. But I'll stop being a downer, Greg, because I want to hear your uh, white family tradition. Yeah, well, let
1: me go back to that point. Uh, you know, yeah. the great Stephen Covey, the first of the seven habits of Of highly effective people seek first to understand and he tells the story of sitting on a subway train with a guy who's paying no attention to his kids and his four or five kids are running all over the train wreaking all kinds of havoc and finally he says something to him hey you know your kids are you know they're kind of kind of going mad here and driving people crazy (laughs) and the guy says I'm so sorry I didn't even notice their mother just passed away and we're on the way home From that, so that empathy is well demonstrated by exactly what you talk about about poor Dell and that sort of thing. But yes, if we could only convince any portion of our population to seek first to understand, then um, I think we would all be in a lot better places in a lot of different ways. That said, my favorite, one hundred percent, since I was a child, and now that I'm, uh, you know, almost a grandparent. My favorite is tradition is we open one gift on Christmas Eve. And it is so funny to watch 20, 25, and 30-year-old young persons come up to you and go, Dad, Dad, can we open our, our Christmas Eve present now? Can we open? <laughs> it's absolutely oh, hilarious. So I, I think that, you know, that's probably one of the, the most fun we had. And of course, you know, we talked about, did we talk about it on the show or maybe just pre-show? My grandmother's birthday was Christmas Eve, so we always opened a present for her, and then she would let us open a present uh, on her birthday, and that's how the whole thing started. It was
0: very cool. Love it. Love it. Okay. A couple quick comments, and we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with Mike Griswold. Sheldon says, diehards. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Mark says, I start looking for gum under railing. That's got to be one from one of the movies, I'm assuming. Mark, and I might be running a little bit slow today, but Mark, great to have you here with us. Really enjoyed your contributions the other day. alone. I mean, if we're talking movies. (laughs) Be curious, not judgmental, as the famous Ted Lasso says. And then T-Square says, that's the fourth habit. The first habit is to be proactive. How about that? Ah, okay. There you go.
1: Um, Why does it say seek first to understand?
0: (laughs) All (laughs) right. That's a good question. That's a good question. Max says here in Mexico, we have a special edition beer called Nochebuena. Having it with the family is always a tradition. That is so cool, Max. And they're rolling it. Uh, Mark says, Elf. Uh-huh. Now, of course. That is, yep. that really is. And Will Ferrell shut down a sequel because he didn't think it was good enough to. Um, to book in the first one. So Good thanks for, for sharing everybody. Yeah, no kidding. All right. So, uh, Mike, I know we got to get you out of here. I'm sure you're booked, booked, booked and booked up. How can folks connect with you and Gartner?
2: Uh, LinkedIn and, uh, also feel free to email me. Mike.griswold at Gartner.com. Happy to hear from folks.
0: Just that easy well, hey, to, from our supply chain now family to yours and the extended Gartner family, wishing you know, all the, the, the happiest of holidays, the merriest of christmases and we're all hoping for a much brighter and more successful new year in 2022. Thanks so much Mike. Same thing. All right, thanks, thanks everyone. Have
2: a great christmas. Bye-bye.
0: All right. Man, I tell you, I'll, I'll, we, we should start just asking and we talk food a lot. I'm going to have some tr- movie trivia questions. Looks like we got plenty of mo- movie buffs. And hey, T squared says, "Hey, my mistake. It's the fifth habit."
1: Wow. It's funny. That's the one that always comes first to my mind. Is so, it? Yeah, I'm going to have to recheck the order. I mean, I am gonna, have, I might have to
0: read the book. Really? <laughs> so I, I'm glad T-Squared is one that can own up when he's wrong. Uh, just this week, I was going back and forth fast and furiously with the auto parts organization. I'm not going to name anybody. And after about, I don't know, 3,247 text exchanges, uh, who's counting? Right. I finally... <laughs> I finally realized I was wrong, and and what they were saying is coming from a different entity. And I apologize, Greg. Uh, I, I, I had you over my my you shoulder. You know how I feel sure about I auto parts. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of which, the drive—I'm new to this. Maybe I'm—I'm I'm slow. Maybe you're already aware. The drive on Twitter is all automotive-related, from history to tracking folks that are making cross-country. Uh, Trex, you name it. You got to check out The Drive. What a great, great content there. It's, 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 I think it's a mix. Just multimedia. I imagine Mm. there's a show out there. Maybe it's tied to, but I'll share it with you after the show. Josh Goody says, Bailey's cocoa and a peppermint straw. That and putting up the tree the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Greg, is your tree
1: up? It is not. You know, we were expecting to be different places during Thanksgiving than we wound up. So that's kind of jumbled things. Also, Delaney and Clay have got a new homestead as of today. So we've had right. a lot of transition going on in the in the White House um, this year. <laughs> uh, but hey, I, I wanted to, somebody mentioned Ted Lasso, and as we mentioned, uh, Gomer Pyle right before. Think about the alignment between those two characters. Sort of happy-go-lucky, always very positive. Somehow. Unconsciously genius, I think. I think there's a lot of alignment between Ted Lasso and Gomer Pyle. I mean, uh-huh. not as slapsticky and you know, kind of clumsy as Gomer Pyle, but right. there's there is a lot of alignment in those characters. I think I'm going to talk to Jason Sudeikis at the Chiefs game this weekend <laughs> and ask him if he had Gomer Pyle in mind in any way when he created Ted Lasso.
0: Is, is he a big Kansas City fan? Is that where he's from? Oh yeah.
1: Is it? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the precept of Ted Lasso is: have you watched this yet?
0: Uh, I, could, I, I watched the first few episodes. I just He's couldn't the get into foot, it.
1: Head football coach at
0: Wichita State University, Scott. I knew. That's right. That's right. Come I remember on, that now. Man. You know, and he hates with, tea. Enough said. I remember that as well. <laughs> um, I put, so I'm putting two and two together, and I got it now. Mark. When I start looking for gum under a railing, that is a line from L. right. Now that makes sense. I got you, Mark. I'm a little bit slow. I'm not I didn't graduate from Georgia Tech. I'm a little bit slow. But I hope you and the Mark Preston family are doing well. I'm not sure who this is. This might be Co- still Korai. Amanda, let me know. Listen to Wham, The Last Christmas it's a great album. song. Yeah. It's a song, Amanda says. It's not an album. It's a song, Scott. It's a song. Sorry, Amanda. <laughs> I got that wrong. Okay. I, sh- I got to brush up on my wham discography, I reckon. Uh, Gene says, that is a great comparison, Greg, that Gomer Pyle. It's funny how these up. things
1: just kind of strike you, right? Um, <laughs> it does make me want to go back and watch Gomer Pyle. That is the name of the show, right? It is Gomer Pyle. Gomer Pyle, USMC. USMC. That's yeah. right.
0: That's right. Uh spinoff from, of course, the Andy Griffith Show. That's right. All right. Whoa, folks. Holy. <laughs> oh man. We could we could we could be here all afternoon doing some impressions there. Um, especially with you that knows every every good one line from every movie this side of Hollywood. But I digress. Greg uh enjoyed the last hour. Uh Mike Griswold always brings it. He is yeah. more reliable than uh Stetson. What's the UGA's quarterback?
1: Stetson Bennett, the fourth.
0: Yes, uh, AKA the postman, right, or ma- the mailman.
1: Yeah, the mailman. I
0: think always brings it, always consistent, and good luck to the dogs this weekend. Hey, folks, this has been a uh, busy live stream week, right? I think this is our third live stream in a row. Uh, we always love having Mike Griswold pop in with us once a month from the heavy hitting Gartner team. Uh, let us know, though. Uh, we're always seeking out new uh, 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 content ideas, new show ideas, for that matter. So be sure to shoot us a note to Amanda at supplychainnow.com. And I uh, hope this finds you and your family some uh, blessings, uh, some uh, time to unplug over the next three or four weeks. And Greg to reflect on the year that was 2021. So happy 1st of December all. Greg, your last thought, and then I'm going to sign off. Yeah, my
1: last thought is if you find any one of these things in your corporate office at Christmas time, a chief ESG officer, you know, some technology tools that help you increase visibility, predictability, and prescriptive decision-making, or, and I, I was doing it while we were doing it, you probably saw me, I'm looking at the hype cycle, Take a look at the hype cycle and see where the mature solutions are. Those are some of the best gifts you can give to yourself as a professional in supply chain this
0: Christmas. That is uh, that's gold there, Jerry. That is absolute gold. Greg, always a pleasure. Big thanks. Likewise. By, by, by the way, behind the scenes, Jada and Amanda holding the fort down, making production happen. Really appreciate what y'all do. Hey, thanks for everybody that showed out uh, here on a Wednesday, first of the month, which is always a busy time, I think, for everybody. Uh, best wishes to you all. But hey, most importantly, listen to Greg, listen to Mike, but even more important, do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.